Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. Someone asked the master, Bokuju, you know, he said to him, we have to dress and eat every day. How do we get out of all of this? Hmm? And Pokoju answered, we dress, we eat. And the questioner said, I don't understand. And Pokoju answered, if you don't understand, put on your clothes and eat your food. Yeah. There is, <clears throat> there has risen in the uh, history of human consciousness a very rare thing called Zen. <clears throat> uh, we hear stories about Zen. Uh, we read some of the anecdotes. There are books put out now where they have them, some of them listed, you know, these little stories. But unless you understand something of the background, uh, unless you understand something of the context of the situation in which you find yourself, hmm, you will not understand the significance of the anecdote nor of yourself. You may enjoy the stories, you may laugh at them, you may puzzle at them, you may be bewildered by them, uh, because in themselves these stories are very unique. Hmm? I mean, you know, like the, uh, the Master Rinzai, you uh, talking to the assembly of the monks, and he said, uh, look, you know, there is a true man of no rank entering and leaving the gates of your face. You beginners who have not seen it, look. Hmm? You know. <coughs> so by observation, and by penetrating into the condition that is brought about by the story, uh, the anecdote or the parable or whatever you want to call it, huh? You, to, to, to penetrate what it points to, you know, you will come to know yourself. And when you know yourself, you will understand Zen. Hmm? Now we all know that Buddhism came out of India, <clears throat> And it went to the Middle East. You know, some of the Greek philosophers were acquainted with Buddhism. 
and I went to China, where it met this thing called Taoism, and uh, which was a religion extant at that time, and they got married. And that is, they made a union, huh? so the two became as one. And uh, then uh, the uh, the fragrance, as it were, of it, you know, drifted over to Japan and the samurai hearing about it, uh, wanting to know more about it because the religion that they were practicing at the time was beginning to fail. So the teachers there went to Japan, went to China, and uh, sat there maybe some of them 12 years, some of them 20 years, and then they brought this thing back to Japan where it thrived. Huh? It, they, you samurai at that time, and the Chinese, you know, they used this device to penetrate human consciousness. Yeah. So this method, you know, that is called Zen now, is a device by which uh, it is a tool that you use to penetrate human consciousness, which is your consciousness, huh? Yeah. And you come to know yourself on all levels, psychological as well as spiritual. And uh, when you understand yourself to that extent, then you will understand the Christ. And you will understand Buddha. And you will understand Lao Tzu. You will understand Meister Eckert. Huh? Yeah. Now, in India, <clears throat> we find the belief of Maya which is translated as illusion. Hmm? And in this belief of Maya, what we call the outer world uh, doesn't exist. Rather, it is considered a dream. So everything that is out there uh, is a dream world. This is Maya. And I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is the way that they have believed. Hmm? <clears throat> so... The whole of India has been trying to discover how to escape from this maya, from this dream world. Hmm? To how to escape from life, you know, from this outer world. And so they move to the inner world and to realize that the world that exists out there is a dream. Hmm? Sometimes it's wonderful, sometimes it's a beautiful world, at worst it's a nightmare world, huh? but beautiful or ugly, it's a dream, it's maya. Therefore, one shouldn't bother about it too much, you know? One should awake and forget the dream of the world. <clears throat> well, we have seen what has happened to India over the thousands of years, paying no attention to what we call materialism, huh? And uh, there is only the effort to escape from the, this, what we call samsara, the wheel of life and death that goes round. Huh? And so, you know, cut yourself off from the world, to be unrelated to the world, to be detached from the world. <clears throat> you know, let me get out of this one so I can come back again and do it a little better next time. Let me get out of this one and, you know, on and on and on they go, going nowhere. because they're not taking the totality into this belief. Now, that's one way they have of looking at it. 
I mean, we can use the term Maya in a different frame of reference and then it becomes something else again, huh? which I have explained previously and will explain again some other day. But for now, in our Western world, <coughs> by and large, we are materialistic. Uh, the spirit has been set aside, as it were, for our material well-being, yes, our comfort. And then, of course, we have, being Puritan in the, in the background, you know, we have this thought also that we don't need to worry about anything because there is a kind, a good, loving father that is looking after our welfare, and so we don't really have to worry about it. What we have to worry about is setting ourselves up in comfort. Hmm? That's our background. You may not believe it in yourself anymore, but that's our background. That's what we've come out of. Now, at the same time, within this background that we have, we are taught that we image God. Hmm? It says in the Bible that we are created in his likeness and image. So we image God. Hmm? Now, it would seem to me that the most simplest way that we could come about to understand God is to look at this image that we carry of him in ourselves. Hmm? Now, doesn't that make sense? <clears throat> we should perceive this image and likeness, this spirit that is called God, not a spirit spirit, you know. God is not a spirit running back and forth up there to the big stick. Oh, he's not. But we should see in ourselves. You know, uh, I can't help but mention, you know, I don't know how many of you listen to William Bulkley. Well, I heard a little bit of what he was going on with last night. And they had a tremendous discussion about angels. And this man, who is in a great authority on angels, said that uh, he's written books on it, and other people have written books about them, all angels also. But uh, he, they, they came up with angels are uh, minds without bodies. This is this is on this is not me talking. This is these authorities talking. A mind without body. And that this mind that is without body, that is an angel, this mind is potential thought. That's all that mind is, is potential thought. <clears throat> and that the only way to know your mind, of course, then, because it's potential thought, is by thought. That's a conclusion they arrived at. They just skipped over the main point altogether. Just a shoop, then came to this other thing. It, it was, ah, <laughs> Really? What are these people talking? Really? You know. So I don't know whether Bulkley had tongue-in-cheek or not, but because uh, he kept saying, you know, you know, you're not being fundamentalist. And the guy said, no, 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 no. And he'd been researching angels since 1930. <laughs> <laughs> And they operate like uh, electrons in a in a in a, uh, in a cell. They can jump simultaneously. You know, no time involved. And he listened to the physicists talk, who were his very good friends, and then he figured out how angels operated. Good deal. And you can only have one angel at a time guiding you. <laughs> <laughs> How many can you put on the head of a pin? 
Well, you can't, not any, because then you're trying to put two worlds together. <laughs> hmm? They did get to that conclusion, because <clears throat> that was a topic of discussion. How many angels can you put on the head of a pin, or the point of a pin? That's been a long, long time of this theological discussion. Anyway, <clears throat> Zen, let's get back to this, is a mispronunciation of a word, which it was a mispronunciation of a word. <clears throat> but it simply means uh, meditation. Zen means meditation. <laughs> uh, to be so alone in your own being, in your own being, to be so alone that not even a single thought exists. Hmm? There's no thing, no object. You are totally alone in your own being. So then we say that's consciousness without clouds. The consciousness is like a pure sky. Nothing but this purity. Hmm? That's meditation, in a manner of speaking. And now, many times before uh, the Buddha, there was a seed of enlightenment that sprouted. Uh, Buddha wasn't the first to practice meditation. You know, all the great masters have practiced meditation. And Buddha was a one in a long series. He even spoke about the 24 Buddhas before him. It's like the Jains, you know. Uh, they speak about the 24 tear thankers, which is what they call their enlightened ones. And, uh, they, they, you know, uh, what do they call them in the other thing? I've forgotten. Anyway, <clears throat> now, um, in India, uh, there have been uh, true rishis. The rishis, they call them in India. They're roshis in, in Japan, but they're rishis in, in India. <coughs> yeah. Uh, you know, seeds seeds have sprouted. Yeah, yeah. But if they don't find the right soil, they wilt or they die. See, and Buddhism died in India. The seed sprouted and it died. It was not the right soil. But... Uh, it, it went along enough until the 28th patriarch. So there was a line of succession from the Buddha 28 times that somebody had achieved this total enlightenment. Not only total enlightenment, but great, great on top of it, you know. So on the 28th in line of succession, because Zen, as we know it now, and Buddhism in that day and age, and Taoism at that day and age, it passed from one to the other. Hmm? I mean, a teacher had a successor, or many successors. You know, would carry on, knew the same state as the teacher, they call it seeing eyebrow to eyebrow. Huh? Knew the same state, states, and then could carry it on. Hmm? Yeah. They never said, oh, I haven't been enlightened, and hid it to themselves. Because if anybody said that, you would know they were not enlightened. Yeah. Anyway, Bodhidharma, he took this seed to China and saved the situation. So the seed didn't die entirely. And now we are told now and then that it took him nine years of traveling to get from India to China. And then as a, you know, as a travel to Japan, uh, 
it was handed down in the same way, and it is handed down in the same way to this very day. This wisdom of the patriarchs. It is a pure stream of consciousness, still flowing. Hmm? Now, <clears throat> you have had enough experiences with yourself and with your meditation so that you know that that which rises out of the depths of you, that which comes, you know, <laughs> rises. What else can I say? It sprouts and rises, huh? <clears throat> it's like you plant a seed and uh, pretty soon up comes a little sprout. It rises, huh? So something rises in your consciousness. Hmm? And what it is, you cannot really say. There are, don't seem to be any words to fit that thing. You can describe how maybe it might act or how maybe it might uh, look to you, but what it is, you cannot say. Hmm? Mm -hmm. But it can be shown. It can be indicated. You can correlate it with something. Yeah? Now, situations can be created and you can show your understanding. Anecdotes create situations. So Zen is anecdotal. Huh? And we have little sayings like plum blossom in the spring. Tremendous, huh? An ancient pond. Frog jumps in, plop. Huh? Anecdotes. Yeah. Indicating some state of consciousness in a story, in a phrase, in a parable, however. Now, we can use the, 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 the uh, out of the uh, Christian scripture, we can use parables also or phrases. And I happen to like the one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's a tremendous state of consciousness. Hmm? Which, of course, Jesus knew so well. No. We have great reverence for him. Yeah. But you have to live with yourself. You have to penetrate yourself. You have to observe yourself. What good does it do to observe what somebody else is doing and complain about what they're doing if you don't know what you're doing? Hmm? And this is such a simple way. Observe yourself. You know, it's so simple that it's missed. It's like the men on TV. Right over the point, huh? And one searches, and one gropes, and you don't grope in your thinking, you know. You grope into yourself. It's like little tendrils running around into the soil. Huh? So you grope into the dark of yourself. You know, your thoughts are all layered on. The ego is layered on. And you have to go through that to yourself. And this is so simple. Huh? The thinking mind is not even required. It is so simple. Yeah. 
we should go through opening the heart, you know, opening of oneself to becoming somewhat vulnerable to life. Yeah. Then you can understand the significance of Zen. Then you will be able to understand yourself. Hmm? Yeah. Now, someone asked the Master Bokuju, we have to dress and eat every day. How do we get out of all of that? Yeah? Well, in India, this with his Maya, eating and dressing and walking and is illusory. I know, but so I know, so they say, become more aware. Yeah? See the dream of the world. See the Maya. Well, how do you get out of a dream? Hmm? How do you get out of a dream? One simply wakes up, huh? Then you're out of it. Eh? You become aware, and you're out. How did you enter the dream? Simply by believing it was real. Yeah. When one drops that belief and sees it's not real, then you're out of the dream. Now that's the Indian way. Hmm? Confucius now, he might have said, you know, there's no need to get out. What do you want to get out for? You know, you follow some rules that I will give you and you will just be able to enjoy yeah, and we like this kind of a way. And, and as long as we got rules to follow, why we're in like Flynn or something, huh? You know, and Confucius says one only has to plan one's life and then in the right way and, and everything will come out all right. Huh? And so he had something like 3,300 rules and regulations of conduct. Yeah, and he was no dummy. No. But they were rules. That's, 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 you know, that's something that the thinking mind can grope with. You know, this is what I should do and this is what I should not do and so I will live according to that. Yeah. Vocal Jew simply says, we dress, we eat. Hmm. That's such a simple answer. You know, but what is he saying? You know, it kind of looks like nonsense. You know, like the poor guy saying, you know, I eat and dress, how do I get out of it? And, and here comes this man saying, you dress, you eat. Hmm? What's he indicating? What's he pointing to? Yeah. He's saying that from his point of view, and we do understand Bokoju is an enlightened man or a realized man or an awakened man or however you want to say it, huh? And he simply says, from that point of view, you dress, you eat. But when you dress and eat, you be in the function so totally that the eater doesn't exist. Hmm? Only eating. And when you walk, there is walking. Who is this that is asking to get out? Hmm? Hmm. Who is asking? The dreamer, huh? We could say, if you understand what that would mean, the ego wants out. Yeah. Well, so you drop the ego. Well, and then what's present? You know, it seems to me I say this so often, and I find that that comes back to me, it is so misunderstood. So you, I say, drop the ego, and 
boy, I'm in there shadow boxing that ego. I'm going to get my hands on that thing. Baloney. To let it go. Don't fight it. Yeah. Now, in the Upanishads, and here's another place. See, on one hand, I say in India, they blah, 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 and then over here, I say in India, blah, 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 you know. I have comparisons because I want to make a picture. And uh, in the picture, maybe you will understand something. <clears throat> now, in, uh, in, uh, in India, some very great masters have come out of it, some enlightened men, huh? There's Patanjali, Shankari, Acharya, Kapila, Nagarjuna, Ramakrishna, Vivekananda, you know, towers, you know. Actually, Buddha worked in, in the Kapila method. And those of you who are familiar with Vipad, he worked with the Kapila method. A pseudo-dualism, as it were. Yeah. But in the Upanishads, it is written, and if you understand those books, yeah. In the Upanishads, it is written, you are like a line in the water. What is so important about a line in the water? Hmm? The line, and somebody goes, <laughs> and the line is gone. Who even knew you were around? What's so important about a line in the water? Yeah. Isn't the water more important than the line? You know, you can erase the line, the water is still present. So the totality of yourself. There is a totality. There is a state of totality. There is a state of being that is a wholeness. Huh? Isn't that more important? than the line in the water, than the ego. You know, we come, we go. Right? Yeah. But we are also that which endures forever. It's just sometimes I think we get the shoe on the wrong foot. Hmm? Yeah. We, our focus is entirely on that line in the water. And never mind the water. And yet the line is in the water. It is never out of the water. Yeah. Observe minutely. I mean, I realize that's difficult, huh? Observe minutely. Yeah? If there is walking, who is walking? Walking happens. You know, legs move, hands move, and the breathing is, you know. Everything is marvelous. But is there really such a, a, a such as a walker? Oh, you can say, I am walking. Huh? Is there really somebody sitting here inside saying, I am a walker, and now you can walk because I am saying you can walk? Or is it just a process? 
Ego is a function, you know. Without it, we can't cope. We can't live in this world. And that's the way it's structured, huh? You know when those men last night said that God could have made a better world, but he didn't want to, and so we give him free will too? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> ego is a function. <laughs> yeah, you know. I'm surprised they haven't given God an ego. Really? Well, maybe they have, yeah. On the <laughs> anyway, at the same time, with this function, you know, this ego arrogates everything for itself. You know, that's how come that line is so important. Much more so than the water. Because the line arrogates everything for itself. And doesn't even know it half of the time. 99.99% of the time, truth be told. Huh? You know, there's a lot of people, and if you confronted them with this, they wouldn't believe you, that they're still living in the ancient of times, believing that the world, which is where, is the center of the universe. And there's, you know, my world, what else? And the rest of it is just a big ego projection. You know, ego is a mind creation. You think it. Hmm. No? And this lying in the water, in grabbing everything for itself, you know, it hides what you're looking for. The water. And if you become aware, you will see that a process exists. Hmm? It's really quite simple to see it. All you got to do is watch a seed. And then the snails come and eat. <clears throat> you know, one could practice eating without an eater being present. And I being, I am the eater. Hmm? How can you love without a me loving. Hmm? If you have loved, you know, if you come to the moment where love exists, you know there's no lover in sitting inside here. Hmm? There is love. Yeah? If you know how to meditate, where is the meditator? Huh? When meditation comes to a peak, you know, all thoughts cease. Then what is present? Hmm? Is there somebody sitting in here saying all thoughts have ceased? Well, if you can say that, then you're not in meditation. No. With this one thought is still there. I have no thoughts. Which is all thought. Hmm? So who's fooling who? Yeah? Have you ever noticed that when you sit, how you scramble after thoughts? You're going to sit down to stop thinking and then, don't leave me. Huh? That's the familiar. You know, it's like a teacher who took a group of students out one day and there was a man leading a cow, you know, with a rope. And the teacher asked the students, you know, who is the master, the man or the cow? 
Well, and the students all said, well, the man has the cow by the rope, so the man is the master. The man is leading the cow. So the teacher cut the rope, and the cow ran over the hill, and the man ran after it. Now, who was the master? Hmm? You understand what I'm saying? I hope now and then something gets through. <laughs> when there is real meditation, hmm, a silence pervades. And that silence has no boundaries. At the peak, climb a mountain, no, at the peak, there is no one to claim. You cannot make a claim. If you make the claim, I am enlightened, you have not reached. No? But sitting on the peak and coming back down to the valley, then eating exists, dressing exists, walking exists, not able. Now you can find out who the monster is. Now, huh? Anyway, this, this poor little man who had come to Bokuju, he probably came, you know, uh, wanting some rules and regulations and disciplines, how to become a religious man, how to drop all the trivial stuff that we do all the day, all the old routine. Every day, again and again and again, same old routine. We go on doing the same thing. Hmm? And maybe this man was bored by it all. Almost everybody comes to that point, somewhere along the line, now and then. Hmm? Intelligent people sooner or later are going to get fed up. Right? Oh, no. So and they're going to start asking what's going on here. You know, every night I go to sleep. I go to bed and I go to sleep. Only I have to wake up again in the morning. The reason I go to bed is so I can wake up in the morning, you know. And after breakfast, you know, then I go to work or whatever, you know. And then I do this and then I do that and then I do the other thing. And it's the same thing day after day after day. And all day long, you know, you're only doing all of this so you can go to sleep again at night. And you go to sleep again at night, you know very well. And in the morning, you're going to have to get up and do the same thing again. So how do we get out of all of that? That's what the man is saying. Yeah? And you know, the thing is, this has been going on for thousands of years with millions of people. This is what we call the wheel of life and death, huh? going all around and around, grinding, 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 like a phonograph record. Huh? So this man comes to Bokoju and says, help me to get out of this. It's too much, and I don't know how to escape. And Bokoju simply says, we dress, we eat. No one to get out. You know, every morning is new. There is no morning that is a repetition of the past. Every breakfast is new. Every moment is new and fresh. You know, and the dew drops in the grass in the morning. Have you seen them? No. Look at them without comparing them to last year's dew drops or yesterday's dewdrops. Don't compare. You know, when you're comparing like that, what you're doing is looking at your memory. You're not looking at what you're perceiving at all. You're looking at your memory. And we collect all this past. And then we try to see. Huh? And why do we get bored? 
You never see this moment. You're always hung up in the past. So Bokuju lives in this moment. And he doesn't bring in all these other moments to compare. You know, don't carry the past. Don't make a big deal about the future. You don't know anything about it. There is a life process. You know, there is a river of consciousness, as it is called, that moves from moment to moment to moment to moment. You know the story of this, I forget his name, I think it was Omar or something like that. One of his friends gave him a nice clock, beautiful clock. And the trouble with the clock was it didn't work very well. But he set it up, he liked it, so he set it on a desk over there. And, and people would come by and they'd say, oh, your clock isn't right, and they'd set it. And, of course, it wouldn't keep time, but he liked this thing. And so one day somebody suggested he take it down and get it fixed. And he didn't want to do that. So uh, one of his friends came along and took off both hands and wrote the words, the word, N-O-W, across the face of it. Isn't that what it is? Isn't that the time? Always? What are you doing in your heads? It's now. Hmm? Now is your opportunity for everything. What are you off on to? What tension are you off on in your head? Hmm? The recognition of this moment. The recognition of this known into the unknown. But that's what you don't want. You want that unknown to be as known as this known. Well, it will be when you get there. Huh? You know, this familiar, this unfamiliar, this, this stream of consciousness moving now, 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 now. Known, unknown, known, unknown, known, unknown. Your whole life is like that. And yet you want to run from it, because it's unknown. And yet it's happening to you all the time. When I say observe yourself, that's what I'm talking about. These are the things you are to observe. Hmm? Consciousness, you know, moving. We dress, eat, and don't create a problem out of it. You know, in this comparing, in this judging, in this condemning, in this praising, you know. Supposing you looked at the sunset over the ocean for the first time, and you'd never seen a picture of it. There's a very, very first time. How you would enjoy. You would just look at it, because you wouldn't have anything to compare it with. It's the same thing when you find yourself, really, for the first time. There is nothing to compare it with. No wonder it gives such joy. Well, it also gives completeness and a lot of other things, but anyway. You know, and if I showed you a, a flower, uh, do you see it in this, in this moment? And you look at it and you say, oh yes, uh -huh, it's a beautiful rose or whatever. Well, if you see it in this now, what's the need to call it a rose? Hmm? The moment you call it rose, all the roses that you have known are sitting right back here in your head and you're comparing. Observe yourself. Huh? 
Then your rose that you're looking at now is lost in a crowd. And you know the other story I tell about the morning glories in the garden and the king. You know that one I want to tell. The beauty of this flower now is lost. It's lost in your memories and it's lost in your concepts. And then you get fed up because it looks like all the other roses. And I'm just using roses for example. You can look at a lot of other things in yourself. Now, supposing, you know, you look right now at this phenomena of this moment. Eyes empty of the past. Consciousness is clear. Consciousness is clean. You know, it's unclouded. Words are non-existent. So you, you can be here, be now. And you will understand what Bokuchu was saying. Dress, eat. Hmm? Yeah, he's saying don't create a problem about it. There's no need. You know, you create a problem, who's going to solve it? You think you solve problems? The situation changes. You know, the conditions change. The changes in this process you know, that occur, you know, they move the problem out of the way. It changes the problem also. Have you never observed this? Huh? We solve very little. You ask how to get rid of the ego, how to drop the ego, you create a problem out of it. Didn't you? But you know, there are thousands of teachers, um, well, hundreds, a couple. <laughs> huh? And they go on saying, I'll tell you how to solve it. You be humble. You be humble and you will solve your problem of the ego. And then nothing happens. Because in your humility, you remain an egoist. Yeah. See, it, it's, you don't really know the state of being humble. It's just something that, you know, you get an idea, but humble is like this. I have felt something in here, and I, it's like this, and so now I've got an idea. So now I will pattern myself after this idea, and now I'm humble. And nothing of the kind, you know? You can pick up your ego, and you set it down. You pick up your mind. Hmm? You understand? If you don't, then drop it. Hmm? Begin to understand yourself. You know, don't look at the moon. Look at the question deeply. If the look is complete, the problem disappears. And when it disappears, it disappears without a trace. And then you have to keep moving from now, 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 now. <clears throat> so this man, Bokuchu, was simply saying to this man, what's the problem? Mm, we dress, we eat. Don't make a problem of it. What mm, has to eat? Eat. There's hunger. You didn't create it. Came with you. Part of you. Huh? But this questioner doesn't understand. You know? It's difficult to understand such a simple thing. We can understand complex things. Yeah? Because in the complexity, we can divide. And we can analyze. It can be tackled logically. 
movie. <laughs> but what are you going to do with a simple thing? Huh? You can't dissect it. You can't analyze it. You can't cut it into pieces. It is so simple, we miss. <laughs> but this man must have been very sincere because he simply said, I don't understand. I just don't understand. Well, now that's very hard to say. I don't know. It is very hard to say. You know, what I find most of the time, uh -huh, they nod in agreement and they miss. I know they're missing. Yeah? They don't know they're missing. Now, they are pretending that they understand. And if you are pretending that you understand, how can you know that you're missed? They cannot say, I don't understand, because then they begin to look idiotic to themselves. Then they are not, you know, up there where they think they should be. Should be. So they pretend. And they have pretended for such a long time that they no longer know they are pretending. Who is to help them? Huh? The teacher gets the blame. Sure. Look what crummy students she turned out. <laughs> huh? Yeah. You know, it's like a man, he, his name was Susia. He was Hasidic, you know, in the Jewish faith. Mystic. He was a Jewish mystic. And they reached the time in life and he was dying. And uh, realizing he was going to die, he started to pray. And the tears rolled down his cheeks and he was trembling. He was afraid. So somebody asked him, you know, what is the matter? And he said, these are my last moments. I am dying. Soon I will be facing my God. And that's a nice way to say it, my God. Huh? Then you, you say that enough, no, you begin to realize something about it. Yeah? Now, when I face my God, I, I know he is not going to ask me, Susia, why were you not a Moses? He's not going to ask me that. But if he should happen to ask me that, I will say, Lord, because you didn't give me the qualities of a Moses, hmm. there will be no problem. He will not ask me, why were you not like Rabbi Akiba? If you should ask me, I don't think he'll ask me. But if he does, I'll tell him. Sir, you never gave me the qualities of being an Akiba. That's why. Hmm. But I am trembling because if he asks, Susia, why were you not Susia? then I will have nothing to answer. My whole life I have tried to become a Moses, a Kiba, or somebody else. I forgot that he wanted me to be just Susia and nobody else. Why were you not Susia? You were given all the qualities of being Susia. How did you miss?
sad, isn't it? Well, this little man says, I don't understand. Well, that's the first step. If you don't understand, you can understand. At least now you're open for that possibility. No. And the teacher says, if you don't understand, you put on your clothes and you eat your food. No. The very compassionate teacher. He is saying, you say you do not understand because the thinking mind doesn't understand. The thinking does not understand. We must look past the thinking to the mind itself. This body has a great wisdom. You were born with a great wisdom. And how close it is, huh? Yeah. Without thinking, there is wisdom. Animals exist. Tremendous intelligence. Trees exist. Intelligence. And here we come, so great, thinking, which is the great pretender, in a manner of speaking. Huh? Now remember, I, we can't do without it. Hmm? But it pretends, what it pretends, this thinking mind, is that it's the foundation of everything. It pretends that it is the peak of everything. Hmm? And with this pretender, how are you going to find the ultimate? Yeah? There is that in you with which there is understanding. You find that. Hmm? You know, because I want to point out, I say lots of times, stop thinking, you know which, of course, I know you cannot do. We cannot stop thinking. Mm -hmm. But for a little while every day, you penetrate into yourself. You know, you hold a focus of attention and it holds through as it goes through this barrier of thinking. Mm -hmm. It goes past thinking so you can ignore the thinking. Uh, look at what the thinking is going on in. Mm -hmm. To really try to stop thinking altogether all day long would be foolish, you know? The thinking has a place, but it should not be the total dictator. Use the mind itself. And you have to start with the thinking to hold a focus of attention, huh? until the focus of attention holds itself. And then it is something else, and you can see that it is something else. This, and you know, you, in this quality of being total, you know, you are existing in the most marvelous of universes. Don't divide yourself. Wisdom remains undivided. Hmm? All on its own, you arrive, really. 
You didn't sit there directing all the little cells, now you do this and now you do that and now you do the other thing. Boy, what a mess you would have been if you had. You could do that, huh? Yes. Wisdom remains undivided. You eat, you walk, you sleep, you dress. Be total in it. Hmm? Don't divide the mind and the body, the soul and matter. Hmm? With all these divisions comes our problems. Yeah. To which there is only one solution. One. That's to be whole again. Hmm? And in that wholeness, the thinking will be present. Sure. You know, I'm talking to you. Isn't thinking wording? How else would I communicate unless I could think? Now, if I want to pick up something, there's a hand. If I want to walk, I walk. There are the legs. Yeah. If I want to communicate, thinking. Hmm? You try communicating without thinking. Unless it's eyebrow to eyebrow. Yeah. See? But now all of this cooperates in a totality. A known totality, it should be. Hmm? You walk with a whole. That's walking with the universe. Not just the legs. Or with this something inside here that says, I am walking. That's walking with words, isn't it? No. The whole remain supreme. The whole remains the master. When parts become the master, your togetherness is gone. Into this totality, the awe. In this totality, the sacredness. Huh? There is the courage to face yourself without fear, without hope, without desire. You know, you just face yourself. You don't put all these other things in it. You know, the bucket is full enough now. Hmm? You know, remaining in the valley, that is, remaining in this world, you become the peak. You know, Jesus climbed the mountain, became the peak. Huh? If you go only to the peak and you're up there, then the whole valley is lost. You're out of the world, all right, but whereabouts are you at? You're probably sitting in some institution. Hmm? Yeah. If you remain in the valley and just stay there and don't do anything about it, then the peak just remains covered with clouds. And the trail up the mountainside is never known. Yeah. You remain in the valley and you be the peak. You remain in the valley and you be the peak. And that's the significance of Zen. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now, may the peace and the power that passes all understanding hold us and keep us in love of the Christ in consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.